When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to care and the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm Ike Parra, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast presented by alina health orthopedics delighted to have a new sponsor on board that's great i'm steve mcpherson and i am joined by callum williams cal i didn't make up a funny name for you i think i'm done with that bit um cal the the regular season is in the books and i don't think any of us expected it to look quite the way it looked how what are your feelings now that it's that it's the regular season is done just a massive sigh of relief um, and we got through it. We made it somehow without anybody dying. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a different one, wasn't it, Steve? It was, uh, I, I think it's going to go down um, in the history books. It's certainly never going to be a season that I'll ever forget. Um, it's funny, I was just doing a little interview with um, with Fox 9, and they asked the same question, sort of, you know, with a, at least a similar insinuation about how, how 2020 will be remembered and, and what a season it was. And, and I was sort of struggling to think of words, which is a bit crap for a commentator, but um, <laughs> I was just, it, it's just at times it has been undescribable because it's been that unbelievable. Um, you know, and, and I think of, of turning up to the stadium and games are called off and, you know, we, we do games on, on the road from the stadium itself and there's things catching on fire and there's just, losing feeds and just, and then we hear about, you know, positive COVID tests within the, within the group and, and we, the abundance of injuries. Um, the MLS's back tournament in itself was wild. Just everything about 2020 has, has been um, otherworldly, you could argue. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see another season like this ever again. Let's hope not anyway. Um, but the simple fact of the matter is, Steve, is that we made it, we got through it, and we're into the postseason. And I can't believe... Minnesota United are in the postseason, finishing fourth and getting to the postseason in the manner in which they did as well, which I'm sure we'll cover a bit later on. Yeah, Cal, it is uh, it is crazy. I hope we don't see another season like this. I'm certainly not ruling out the possibility that at least some of 2021 looks a little bit like this. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I'm always hopeful about uh, the, the future and uh, and hoping for the best that way. Uh, we'll we'll get into Minnesota United some. Uh, I think we're going to start with going a little bit around the league, essentially, just so you guys know. Uh, this week, we're going to sort of recap the season. We're going to look at the season that was. Uh, we'll wait for next week, and then next week will be a sort of playoff preview, uh, where we'll also take a spin around the league and talk about Minnesota United's matchup with the Colorado Rapids. But let's... Um, Let's start by sort of looking around MLS. And again, I have to start this with a proviso that I feel like I have watched far less other MLS uh, than in years past uh, because I've watched highlights. I've sort of tried to catch up during the day uh, to the extent that's possible. With basically two games a week, I feel like I've just been completely jam-packed with Minnesota United stuff. But, uh, but that doesn't mean we haven't paid attention to what else is going on. Let's talk about the most surprising 
uh, successes uh, in the league this season. The teams that maybe people didn't expect uh, to have a great year who ended up taking advantage of, of, of this season and all its weirdness. Um, looking around, I went back, I looked at some uh, rankings, preseason rankings from Sports Illustrated, MLS, ESPN, et cetera. Um, the one that really stands out, uh, well, I'm going to talk about three. I don't know how many you have maybe picked out, Cal, but the one that really stands out to me is Orlando City. Um, and I think that a lot of that, a lot of that goes to Oscar Pereja and the job, the tremendous job he's done there without overhauling the roster, really. I mean, he's using a lot of the same players, but, um, you know, just to, to remind people, Sports Illustrated had them ranked 22nd before the start of the season overall. MLS had them at 23rd overall and ESPN had them at 21st. So no one was really expecting them to even make the playoffs. And here they are with a home game, the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, fair play to them. It, it's been a rejuvenation, really, hasn't it? And you're right, Steve. I think the majority of the credit has to go to Oscar Pereja. Um, I'm going to limit um, who I, I think has really helped them because of the, one of these players may very well be up for my um, young player of the, war, of the year award or rookie of the year, whatever we're going to call it. But um, look, essentially, yeah, a lot of it has to come down to Oscar Pereja. And finally... Um, giving Orlando City some sort of an identity. Um, some coaches are able to to establish that a lot quicker than others. Um, it feels like the last couple of years, you know, after the firing of Adrian Heath um, and his staff, it, it's just been a complete mess um, with the new ownership group coming in, um, then approaching all sorts of different coaches, trying to get different players in. Um, but simply, the one thing that they've um, that they've failed to do more than anything, Steve. Um, is is find an identity, um, and that's both on and off the field as well. Um, and I think now for, for the first time there is um, there is actual hope, and and there is the thought that um, perhaps Orlando City can can go ahead and be um, an actual playoff contender uh, on a consistent basis. And I don't think that was ever the the thought for for several several years. So um, it, I think more than anything, and I say this with all due respect. Um, when somebody who's been watching this league for a long time looks down and sees Orlando in the playoffs, you would say straight away, well, it's about time. And, you know, again, we've seen several teams do this over the course of, of Major League Soccer. Like, it took Toronto FC so long to do it and everything as well. But but finally, now I wonder if if Orlando City can can build on what they've, they've gotten themselves into now. Because, again, we saw Toronto FC do it. Um, for years after, once they got into the playoffs, they continued to get stronger and stronger because the attraction of the franchise was was obvious then. I think now this is obviously a good step in the right direction for Orlando. Obviously, it's historic and everything, them, them being in the playoffs for the first time in Major League Soccer. But now the question will be, what can they do with it moving forward? Because, I, honestly, Steve, I think, because I think there's a real, real opportunity for them to build on, on this platform for, for progress here. And, you know, Orlando City, I think I saw something the other day. Apart from LA Galaxy, I think Orlando were the second most well-supported team outside of the US when, when teams are looking at, at MLS teams. Mm. So it's not as if Orlando City are just an anomaly. It's not as if they're just this some random team and people don't know who they are. People know who Orlando City are around the world. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the geographical location of them. You know, a lot of people go to... Florida on vacation and whatnot, you know, and a lot of a lot of Brits anyway tend to, to when they look for an MLS team, they 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 say right, well, Orlando because I've been there before, I've been to Florida before, you know. Sure. So um, that that will be in the mindset moving forward, and and I think um, their identity, not just in North America but across the globe, 
um, could potentially increase now for the better. Um, let's not be too hasty. You know, it's, it's the first time they've got to the playoffs. But my point is here is I think there's a genuine opportunity if they keep momentum moving forward over the next couple of years. Yeah, Cal, we only have to look at some of the teams that we'll talk about for most most surprising face plant to see how quickly uh, things can go south, uh, no matter how good you feel about things right now. Um, Orlando, I think Oscar Pereja definitely enters into that conversation about, I've talked about this many times about coaches, where there's there's like a couple coaches who really make a huge positive difference and a couple coaches who are particularly terrible in a league. And then the rest of them are basically, it's a, it's a wash. Like they're fine, they're good, they're going to do okay. Oscar Pereja is definitely putting himself into that conversation of a couple of those coaches who can really make a huge difference to a team. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of that success is going to ride on him going forward. I think that um, the kind of success they have is also the kind of thing that makes players want to play for him. I think Orlando City, as you said, is an attractive market. It's not huge. It's not like Miami, um, which is a much bigger sort of city and everything like that, but it's a great climate. Um, it's an easy adjustment to go to go be there for for players who are coming from Europe and you know from places that are warmer. Um, so it's attractive for that reason. Purple is a great color. It looks great on a lot of people. Um, nice, nice looking uniforms, good nickname, the Lions. Obviously that stadium is very nice. It was also designed by Populous. So Orlando certainly set up for a lot of, uh, a, a lot of things that could, that could go well for them in the future. And MLS is back tournament champions, uh, reigning champions. Next time they do that tournament, I guess they'll have to defend their title, but hopefully that never happens again. Um, let's talk about a couple other, uh, surprising successes. Both of these are sort of fall into the same category, um, which are Columbus and, and, and Sporting Kansas City. Not that either of them are exactly a surprise because Columbus looked good last year down the stretch. Sporting Kansas City, you never want to count out because of Peter Vermees. But looking back at the, you know, sort of the preseason rankings, you know, Columbus missed the playoffs last year and they were leaders in the Supporters' Shield for a good chunk of the season. SKC also missed the playoffs last year and then are now the number one seed in the Western Conference. Um, and obviously some of that's got to be chalked up to uh, Peter Vermees and his system, the, the arrival of Alan Polito, um, you know, the, the rise of some players like John Luca Luzio. Uh, but let's talk about Columbus a little bit first. Um, you know, they've, they've obviously fallen off their sort of supporter shield pace. Uh, they had some issues with injuries. Uh, it was hard to keep uh, both Artur and Nagby on the field all the time. So Ryan had his, his issues with, with injuries. But um, what do you see from Columbus, Cal, uh, you know, a couple years into Caleb Porter's, uh, you know, sort of regime there? Um, well, first of all, Steve, whilst we're on the subject of Caleb Porter, the former Portland Timbers manager, I just want to correct it with Portland Timbers who won the MLS's back tournament. Oh, I, sorry. Oh, that's I, right. I, no, no, I, I knew you knew that, but I just wanted to, <laughs> to clarify. Right, sorry. <laughs> I've got too many um, teams listed here in front of me. So. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Hey, yeah. it's 2020. Um, yeah, look, I mean, Columbus crew... Um, it's a strange old market, isn't it? Because it, it's not a big market. Um, it's a team that has flattered to deceive for a long, long time. Um, let's be honest, they're a team that are fortunate to be in existence right now. I think, what was it, 2018? We all thought they were going to disappear to Austin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so um, I think for maybe the, the 2019 season, a lot of people in Columbus were just happy to, to be there. Um, but this season, I, I think... Um, that's been brushed aside. And, and I think with some of the acquisitions they made, there was a real sense of, we mean business now. You know, spending $7.5 million club record fee for Lucas Celerajan, that, that's, that's, um, that's uh, a statement. Um, because not, what 
five, six years ago, I mean, the majority of teams in Major League Soccer wouldn't do that, you know. Um, so I think Columbus have adapted quite well to the way that the league has continued to grow. And clearly the ownership group there wants to go and spend some money. And they've got a lovely new, what, what looks like a lovely new stadium uh, on the way as well. So that's obviously going to be good for them next season uh, and beyond. Um I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there, Steve, in the sense that a lot of the way that they played came through the centre of midfields and they were unable to keep Artur and Nagbe on the field um, at the same time for, for some time, which caused them problems. Um, I still think the loss of Will Trapp um, hurt them a little bit. Um, the inclusion and, and the signing of Darlington Nagbe was, was wonderful. It, he, for me, he's arguably been the best American player in Major League Soccer this season uh, when he's fit and healthy. Um, I think there was a, an element of, of inconsistency there um, with, with the Columbus crew this year, but um, more often than not, when Nagbe was on the fields, they would work quite well because he makes them tick. Um, and, and let's not forget as well, John Menson. John Menson's had a tremendous year as well, I think quite rightly in discussion for Defender of the Year across across the league. Um, and... Um, uh, Aloe Room as well has, has been a, a solid pickup as well. The goalkeeper who, um, what was it, 10 clean sheets or 9 clean sheets in, in the end, I think. I mean, I, I, I think he's been he's been a really good pickup. I know, I know he was picked up midway through 2019, but this is his first full season. Um, and uh, I think Keller Porter's got a real grasp of the locker room. Um, obviously, um, Jassy Zardes is somebody who can press and, and cause problems. Um, the wide players, um, because of that press, and, and, and Zella Rajan as well, and his movement have benefited tremendously. Um, but uh, look, I, I think for Columbus Crew, I think that the, the only real issue Steve I saw was, was the lack of consistency towards the latter stages of the season. It was only them and Chicago Fire that were the two remaining sides that didn't win on the road this season. You know, and, and that's that, that's going to hamper you across the season. It really will. So I understand this year it's it's very difficult to go and win on the road. But I think if you've got anything about you this year you have to go and win on the road because at some stage you're going to have to play on the road as well. So, um, you know, I, I think there was the lack of inconsistency or, or a lack of consistency rather on the road. Um, and that's ultimately why they haven't finished in the top two in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that Columbus is is going to have uh, trouble, uh, you know, if they if they are pushed, uh, you know, on the road. Um, and and that's that's not great. But again, they sort of set up for success, um, you know, it, it, in years to come. It's nice to have them. Uh, I, I like the uniforms a lot. Also, another good combo, the yellow and black. So um, let's touch on uh, SKC just a little bit. And, you know, because their season was a real up and down, you know, it looks there's sort of they had missed the playoffs. They brought in, you know, they made another, you know, franchise record uh, transfer uh, for Polito. And then, um, you know, started well, kind of flagged and then finished really strong to take that top spot on, on decision day. Yeah, look, I mean, they are um, the epitome of consistency towards the latter stages of, of the season. And they're just a very difficult unit to break down. And they have been for a long time, Steve. And, and Peter Vermees, I still can't believe Peter Vermees has never won the MLS Coach of the Year, by the way. Um, wow. that, that's staggering, that is. And, and, and look, I know a lot of people will point towards Jim Curtin this year, and, and probably quite rightly so as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vermees has to be in the conversation of the game this year because to take the team from the depths that they've that they plunged to to where they are now, um, he's done a tremendous job. Uh, obviously, bringing in Polito was was a statement signing. Uh, what was it, nine million plus added added fees and add-ons and whatnot, and it's the biggest piece of business the club's ever done. Um, 
but you know, whilst he obviously played his part, I don't think he was the key reason for their success. I think Kansas City are a tremendous transition team, and uh, they have been for a long time. And I think um, the areas that they struggled in last season was that they couldn't transition as effectively from the centre of midfields. Um, and it, a lot of that happened because Ilya Sanchez had a poor season. Um, and the, the bodies around him, you know, Felipe Gutierrez had a good year, but Roger Espinosa didn't have a particularly good year either. And, and the, the pieces around it weren't great either. Um, and um, I think one of the, one of the, the better teams to transition this year are Kansas City because of, of Gary Kinder, mm-hmm. um, who I don't know if it, it's been made public. I think they've, they've signed him permanently. I, I don't know if anyone's reported that yet, but I, they, they've signed him permanently mm-hmm. um, for, I think it was around about three and a half, four million dollars. So again, it's another, for Major League Soccer standards, it's another big signing for for Midwestern standards in yeah. terms of a big financial fee. Um, and... Um, I, I think um, Gary Kinder has been a revelation since since he's joined Sporting Kansas City. Um, but when you're transitioning, you, you also need effective attacking players as well, and, and they've had that in various different shapes and forms as well. Johnny Russell is is your stereotypical modern-day winger, inverted winger who likes to cut in, and regardless of how much take you watch, um, you know where he's going to go, but <laughs> you still can't commit just in case he goes the other way, you know, and, and, and he's capable of doing both. But more often than not, he'll cut inside and cause problems. And he's given fullbacks nightmares since he's been in Major League Soccer. On the other end, though, it, it's been a combination of Daniel Shalloway, Joseph Fernandez, Kyrie Shelton, all three very, very different wide players. Um, and then obviously the centre forward, it's, it's really, whilst Shelton has played once or twice up there, it's really been Polito and, and most recently Eric Hurtado, who seems to have found his goal-scoring boots at the right time. So, um, tremendous transition team, Steve, and they really hit you on the break as effective as anybody in this league, in my opinion. So, um, Russell's great. Um, Polito, I believe, is going to miss the first game of the playoffs because he's on national team duty. Uh, we know all about that. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's obviously going to be a miss for them, but I think, uh, as I mentioned, Hurtado has started scoring goals at the right time. Um, and, and look, and, and we, we don't talk enough about them defensively as well. We don't talk about enough defensive um, uh, wonders in, in this league, in my opinion, anyway. I know um, from a North American perspective, it's all about entertainment and, and attacking, and I understand that. But I think we need to start talking about how good defenders are now starting to be in this league, because that wasn't the case 10 years ago. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and they're also transitioning in the sense of, you know, Matt Beisler is now, what, 33, 34? Um, Punchech has come in and, and done ever so well and, and it seems as though uh, Andreu Fontas now seems to have found his feet as well um, after a couple of starts so uh, I wonder what they're going to do next year Steve I think if anything obviously Winston Reid as well has, has come in and provided competition I wonder what they're going to do next year because Luis Ma, um, Marine um, uh, Martin sorry wasn't um, wasn't particularly great I just mentioned an old goalkeeper there Luis Marine <laughs> um, <laughs> Martins wasn't, wasn't great in my opinion uh, and Graham Zeus is going to be 35 next year, to my knowledge. So I wonder, with the fullbacks being so important in their system, I wonder if that's an area they look to address next season. But either way, if they do, it'll be a case of the rich getting richer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, are there any uh, other surprising successes that you wanted to give a brief shout out to, Cal? Any any teams that caught you by surprise, other than those ones I had mentioned? Yeah, the one that I've been impressed with magnificently is is uh, Nashville SC. I didn't think anybody, mm-hmm. um, I don't think anybody thought they would make the playoffs. And, and I know it's an extended Eastern Conference, so in my opinion, if you miss the playoffs this year, it's um, 
you've got some issues if you miss the playoffs this year, in my opinion. But, um, you know, fair play to Nashville because we know, Steve, and everybody watching this knows how difficult an expansion team can 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 find it in their expansion year. Um, I think they added good pieces. I think that the most important thing for Nashville is I think they 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 discovered their identity fairly quickly. And, you know, we saw the first couple of games where they were trying to figure that out. Obviously, they didn't play an MLS's back because of the COVID outbreak they had. But once they settled in, once they got to play four, five, six games together consistently, I think they figured it out quite quickly. Gary Smith deserves tremendous credit for that. Um, and what I liked about it, Steve, is that they were comfortable with who they are in terms of they're a direct team. Mm-hmm. They know they know, don't necessarily have the players to, to play in between the lines quite yet. And to be as expansive from a you know, a wide area yet, you know, and um, they, they, they knew what they were, you know, Randall Leal is a tremendous footballer and, and again, he's one of those where you, you know exactly what he's going to do. I think maybe the argument is that he's, he's more comfortable in a 10 role, but then the counter argument is, well, he can't run at people when he's, <laughs> when he's in the 10 role as, as effectively as he can when he's out wide. But every time he plays out wide, he, he, majority of the time he tucks in anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the one thing that Nashville have really lacked over the course of, of the season, really up until recently, has been a, a centre forwards. Um, you know, they've, they've had several makeshift centre-forwards. I know when, when Minnesota played there, they, the combination was Derek Jones and Alex Mwil up front, you know, yeah. both traditionally midfielders. Um, and it's been an issue for them. Dunlardi's had his injuries, which we're familiar with as well. It's unfortunate for Abu. Um, and then the, the other forwards that they had on the roster didn't quite make the grade. And, and so Yonder Kiddies coming in has, has provided them with, with what, what a direct team should have, and that's a big target, man. Um, but he's a target man who looks like he's quite handy in front of goal as well. So not only has he provided Nashville um, and the players behind him a little more space, because as a target man, he'll, he'll drop and push back, meaning the back line's got to go with him, meaning mm-hmm. lots of space for the, the three behind. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, um, we see Mukhtar scoring a goal, you know, and, and we, we see Leal having a little more freedom. We see Moyle able to run at people a little bit more. So I think that was the thing that they missed throughout the entirety of the season. Um, but they deserve tremendous credit because they stuck to their guns and continue to play that way, despite not having a vital piece to it. Um, very blue collar team. And I think it's important to have that identity as an expansion team, unless you are someone like a Miami and you're going out signing all these superstars and whatnot. And sure. Atlanta United can also be put in that conversation as well when you're going out and signing certain players of a certain ilk. But um, I-, I was impressed with Nashville for sure. And-, and I think they all deserve a good pat on the back for a wonderful expansion year. Yeah, I think there were, again, looking back at those preseason power rankings, most of the, the bottom three were inevitably sort of some combination of, of SC Cincinnati, uh, Nashville, and Inter-Miami. Like, you know, you just sort of expect that. Uh, occasionally, some other sort of longer established teams hanging around there. But, um, but yeah, Nashville surprised very pleasantly, you know, enjoyable to watch, I think, um, which I can't say the same for FC Cincinnati, really, at this point. Um, Inter-Miami obviously squeaked into the playoffs. Um, but again, if you miss the playoffs in the East, you're, <laughs> you've got a lot of issues. So, issues yeah. so let's, uh, I don't want to spend too much time uh, on schadenfreude and most surprising face plants, but I want to spend, spend a little bit of time on most surprising face plants since there's some teams that obviously uh, people thought were going to be great and they didn't turn out that great. And uh, it can be kind of fun to look at that. LAFC, um, you know, 
looking good now. They've gotten Carlos Velo back. He is not going to be around for the first round of the playoffs, but seem to be rounding into something like form. Uh, but, you know, again, looking back at what people thought, everybody expected, well, you know, they're just going to crush the league again. Like, what could possibly stand in the way? And, uh, and I think that underestimated, I mean, obviously what uh, Carlos Vela meant a lot to that team, but also a player like Walker Zimmerman uh, leaving uh, has, has, has been tough for LAFC. So um, briefly, what are your feelings on LAFC in this season and, and, and where things sort of didn't go right? Just difficult, wasn't it? Because you, you can't repeat what they did last year. Really, Last year, they were spectacular. They really, yeah. really were. Whilst they had a defensive frailty too. Um, I thought you, you mentioned quite rightly there, Steve, the combination of Zimmerman and Segura last year, I, I thought were the two best um, defenders. I thought they were, they were the best central defensive pairing in Major League Soccer last year. So whenever they gave the ball away, which was a lot um, because of the things that the likes of Atuesta were trying, uh, I thought they always had um, individuals to tidy up and, and I thought they did it very well indeed. Um, so, yeah, and obviously not having Carlos Vela is, is going to cause an issue. Brady Wright Phillips, fair play to him, continues to, to pester and, and score goals. And uh, if I was Bob Bradley, I'd give him another year. I really would. I don't care how old you are. You're scoring mm-hmm. goals still. What is it? I think he's 35, 36 next year. I don't care. You're still scoring goals. Um, we're going to provide the opportunities for you. That's one thing LAFC will do, and that's carve out opportunities when they're at full strength. So I'd give BWP another year for sure. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it was one of them where... Um, I, I don't think, again, they were as consistent as they probably needed to be, um, particularly from the centre of midfield. Um, you know, Mark anthony Kay had his injury problems, uh, as did Atta Wester. Um, I think actually more than anything, Steve, from a midfield point of view, we actually saw how light LAFC are outside of the starting eleven because whilst they've got some decent players, they're nowhere near the calibre of the actual starting eleven. When you look at the the proper starting 11 you would expect from LAFC mm-hmm. um, you know I thought um, it was a disappointing year for sure and um, you know but look <laughs> the way that Major League Soccer works they'll, they'll go and win in the playoffs won't they and get to MLS Cup just because it's the way it is so <laughs> they could they could um, a team that cannot uh, get to MLS Cup uh, Atlanta United because they missed the playoffs um, I was not initially going to include them in this because I sort of you know, sort of knowing the issues that, that Frank DeBoer had going in uh, to this season and sort of, you know, a bunch of other things were like, maybe this is not the Atlanta United we knew, maybe we didn't have these expectations. But I had totally forgotten that Joseph Martinez was actually healthy to start the year. And then losing him sort of started the slow train wreck that was the rest of Atlanta United season. Um, this, this sort of watching it took me back to the, the, the sense that, and I think I may have brought this up years ago when Atlanta United was on, uh, you know, was, was on a tear and looked like, you know, the darlings of the league. Um, they're, the way that they are built is to get, uh, you know, good players, young players, high-priced players, up their value and move them on. And it's sort of this, this turnover machine, basically. You get a Miguel Almaron, he does great, you move him on. You know, you, they moved on from Pity Martinez, who didn't even have a very good Atlanta United's you know, span, but then they sold them on. So the thing about that is that like, you sort of have to start, you have to get it right <laughs> over and over and over again, rather than something like Peter Vermees, where you're talking about a guy who's been in charge for a long time. He's, you know, he sort of developed the system he wants. He just plugs those players into that system and there's variation in result, but you know what you're getting. This is, you know, going from Tata Martino to Frank DeBart and uh, I don't know who's the acting coach now. I can't remember. Stephen Glass. 
Thank you, Glass. That's right. So you know, it's like, and we don't know who their their full time coach, their permanent uh, you know replacement head coach is going to be. It's just a high variability situation, and this is, seems to be one of those years where it's like, well, just didn't just didn't all click, and then that's what you end up with is missing the playoffs. I think it proved more than anything, Steve, how important Joseph Martinez is to them. Um, I think Pity Martinez, with a Joseph Martinez ahead of him, would have been a lot better in Major League Soccer. And we spoke about this earlier on, about how important, um, when you've got these types of players, how important the pressing forward can be. Mm-hmm. And Joseph Martinez is exactly that. And I had this argument with a current coach in Major League Soccer maybe oh, three, four months ago. I won't mention the coach's name, but... I never like arguing with coaches because it's there. You know, they obviously know a lot more than I do. But sure. um, to suggest that Martinez wasn't as important as, as as I was alluding to, I thought was crazy. Um, and uh, like I said, I think um, Martinez, when, when he presses, it, it creates so much space. And there's a reason why, if you go back and look at Miguel Almiron, the majority of his goals for Atlanta came from the edge of the area because the back line had been pinned back so much by mm-hmm. Joseph Martinez. Um so I don't think Atlanta were ever able to replicate what Martinez, Joseph Martinez gives them. Um, and it really caused them problems because um, they also had to um, play a new system that I don't think they ever really adapted to with, with Frank Capoa. Um, Stephen Glass tried to get them back to, to what they were playing like under, under Martino. Um, but again, the focal point of that is a pressing forward, is Joseph Martinez, and a pressing forward of of sincere value, you know, and um, they, they tried a couple of different things, uh, Rochetta up front, they, they tried Adam Jean in the role, um, they tried a couple of different pieces and, and it just didn't work, it wasn't anywhere near as effective, so they had to almost re-identify themselves and, um, and they got caught out a lot in trying to do that, so hey, but look, um, in my opinion, every, every team has to go through a phase where they're not successful to understand how much it hurts and from a motivational point of view, to not want to get there again. Um, so, look, for me, it was um, an extremely disappointing year for Atlanta United. But we know how they operate. They, we, we know what Arthur Blank wants his team to do. Mark my, my words, Steve, they will go and sign whoever they need to to be competitive again. But first and foremost, they need to identify who the head coach is going to be. Yeah. Um, moving on from Atlanta United Cal to another team, which we know will go out and sign people if they need to. LA Galaxy, uh, be remiss not mentioning uh, the fairly poor showing Chicharito had after being uh, occasionally in the preseason uh, lauded as an even bigger deal than David Beckham coming to, to MLS um, and yet could not really score and did not really help out uh, the the Galaxy in games that he played. They did better without him, it seemed like, on the pitch. Um, now, I think that... The thing is, is that he's he's still a very good player. Obviously, nothing is wrong uh, with with Chicharito, but uh, you know, I'm sure they're going to give him another chance uh, next year. Pavone did look very good uh, when when he had the chance, but again, the Galaxy spent a bag of money and and didn't really have the results to show for it. Yeah, I'm not being rude here, Steve. I'm just fact checking here. That's fine. Two goals in twelve games for Javier Hernandez. Yeah, I was going to try to remember. I can remember if it was one or two, but it's. I think yeah, it was like one early and then one late. So yeah. it's not not great for him. Great, he scored in the last home game for them. Um, 
not great at all. And yeah, I, I've had this conversation with multiple people that actually I thought they looked a lot better without him in the team. Yeah. Um, and I know that argument was, was made for when Zlatan Ibrahimovic was in the team last year as well. But I mean, look, at least Zlatan was always capable of a moment of magic, wasn't he? Well, yeah, and it was weird because th- that was the whole discussion with Zlatan. Is like, you looked at that team, you said, this is a talented team. And when Zlatan is on the pitch, he just dominates the, the flow of play so much that maybe they'll become better without him. But they, that just didn't, that didn't actually come together. No, it didn't. And I think, again, if, if they would have had um, a centre-forward that would have complemented the system, maybe they would have. Um, a lot on the shoulders of Christian Pavon, um, who I hear is is not going to be coming back to LA Galaxy. I, I don't think they're going to pay the, the $20 million asking fee from uh, from Boca Juniors. Um, and it's interesting, myself and Kindred e. St. Aubin, just before we came on, on here, Steve, with you, um, I was uh, we were both on a an LA Galaxy press conference just to hear what the GM and the technical director had to say. And I thought it was interesting that, that, you know, they actually admitted that it's a club without culture at the moment and they don't really have an identity. And I think a lot of people have been saying that about LA Galaxy for, for a long time. Let me just get some numbers up here, Steve, which might um, might surprise you. It certainly made my eyes um, get larger for sure. Um, so over the last four years, which it's safe to say the last four years haven't been to the standard you would expect from LA Galaxy. 66 players have departed. They've had three GMs and four managers in four seasons. That's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Um, Thank you to Kevin Baxter for uh, providing those stats, by the way. Um, I thought it was interesting what Teclosa had to say, the the technical director, the man responsible for bringing in a new manager and and the majority of the players. he said what I think everybody's thinking, to be honest, Steve, is that there is a lack of consistency, they lack defensive balance, they are vulnerable, and they simply need a better centre-half. This is the, the technical director saying this to the press today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been obvious for some time, really. And I say that with all due respect to the current crop of centre-backs, but this has been an issue for LA Galaxy for a long, long time. I like Giancarlo Gonzalez. I think he's a good centre-half. I'm not sure he's the long-term answer with him being 31-32 now. Um but I thought him coming in from um, Palermo in Italy was a good good pickup. Um, but I, I just don't think they've they've been as consistent defensively as they need to be. I keep using that word consistency because it's so important in what has been a bizarre 2020. Yeah. Uh, and you'll find those that that at some stage had an element of consistency have found themselves in the playoffs in some shape or form. But even the experienced players like Insua, for example, this is a player who's played for Liverpool and Stuttgart and Bayer Leverkusen and whatnot in in some very big games in the Champions League, just wasn't up to the task at, at Major League Soccer level. And, and again, I wonder if he's going to be around next season. I don't know what his contract is. But mm-hmm. um, defensively was the issue for them. Uh, again, I'm not convinced um, that Dos Santos had a, had a great year either. He struggled with injuries. Um, I don't think the back line had enough protection. Perry Kitchen was in and out of the team. Um, ultimately, it was a misery of a campaign for LA Galaxy. Um, and whoever takes over that job now as the head coach there has got an almighty task ahead of them to get them back to where people expect the Galaxy to be. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to move on and talk about Minnesota United. There's, I have a bunch of other things I want to talk about about the season. Maybe we can save it for, for you know, the offseason. But I uh, want to shout out give a message from our sponsor. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. 
All right, let's talk about Minnesota United, a team that is near and dear to our hearts, obviously, because they um, pay us, um, and for other reasons too, I'm sure. Um, way back, I went back, way back on March 2nd, I said that I thought a reasonable expectation for 2020 for, for Minnesota United would be a similar seed uh, as last season, but a win in the first round. So if I went back and I told you that Minnesota United would get two games from Ike Opara, 10 games from Ozzy Alonso, seven games from Luis Amaria, and five games from Tyler Miller, and still get into fourth, I'd be pretty impressed. Oh, there's also a global pandemic going on right now. It's one of those things where at moments during this season, I felt like this team should be doing better. This team needs more, you know, firepower up front, which is not, I mean, that's not really up for debate. Obviously, the forward, the, the forward position has been, has been a sore spot for Minnesota United overall. Uh, we need more out of this. We need more out of this. There's a lot of draws. There's, you know, you need to win your games at home. You can't settle for draws and everything like that. And yet, zooming back out, like, basically, you know, everybody had issues, you know, like, I'm not going to say there's, there's teams above us, but I, you know, I, I thought that Minnesota United, you know, with the lineup going into the season should compete for a top three seed. And so to wind up fourth, you know, in a completely crazy cracked out season with all the injuries and absences they've had, it's not too bad. It's an astronomical achievement in my my opinion steve to, yeah. to have essentially half of the starting 11 that we expected to see throughout at least 30 games um <laughs> i i can't i cannot um speak any higher of the coaching staff the supporting staff and the players themselves to get to this point because Really, Steve, if you think about it, and we, we rattle off all the issues this team has had this season, they shouldn't have made the playoffs, really, if you think about it. And I know they're not the only team that have had issues this year, but in terms of the actual injury list, Steve, at one stage, I think it was for the Chicago game, there was 11 players missing. And all 11 you would expect to be involved in the starting 11 some way or, or somehow. In the um, game day 18, at least. Yeah. At least, at the very, very least. Um so I think people need to be commended here massively for, for, for pulling this off. You know, it, it's been wonderful. It really, really has. Um, and um, I, I just can't... I, I think the one thing which has been slightly overlooked as well is, is the amount of, um, uh, the amount of, of depth that was, was really tested this year as well. It was so important that, that the team went and got the players that they did. Because imagine if, imagine if Minnesota United didn't have the depth. Imagine if they would have had the the team that they had in 2017 and, and they had the amount of injuries they did, I mean, there would have been no way. There would be times when you, you probably wouldn't have even had a bench. So um, I, I think, again, people across the board need, need to be need to be uh, commended here and, and uh, somewhat celebrated. You know, it's um, not over yet, but but it's, you know, if it were to end on the 22nd, um, I know the initial expectation for yourself and for many others was to go on and and win a first round playoff game and to get through if it's if it is to end on the 22nd Steve I still think it's been a magnificent season for Minnesota United I really do yeah absolutely Cal I mean I think that cha- my expectations have, have changed a good deal at this point for a lot of things um and and yeah I mean I think that I mean if you even if you just chalk it up to the fact that that Minnesota United is going to be missing four players who are who are key players um due to international duty right at that time when they 
really need those players. That's, that's just sort of schedule. That's like, the, what can you do about that? But I think a lot has to be made of, and, and, and appreciation should go out and, and recognition for, for a lot of those players. Like you said, those depth players, Ja'Cory Hayes uh, had a tremendous season, um, you know, filling in in a lot of ways, uh, you know, in the midfield in different roles, depending on who he was playing with, you know, when, when Ozzy was out or Jan was out or Hassani was out, he sort of had different, different pairings he was with. I think um, obviously Dane St. Clair, a huge revelation in, in goal. Um, maybe the one player in there that I'm, that I think the falling off from Tyler Miller, I don't feel like we lost very much in terms of going to Dane St. Clair. I think that's, you know, like that's great. And, and as I've said before on the podcast, if he is, this could be one of the biggest revelations of this season going into next season is, is that Dane St. Clair is a possible starting goalkeeper for, for Minnesota United going forward and a goalkeeper of the future, which is great. So there's been a lot of opportunities, you know, we've seen the arrival of, of Reynoso, who is who's tremendously exciting and obviously has lifted the level of the entire team when he's on the pitch. A great comeback year from from Kevin Molino, uh, you know, who I know is nominated for comeback player of the year. And I think it's 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 well deserved if he gets it after coming back. You know, he came back last year to play, but didn't get to contribute what he wanted. And so this is it's really a huge turnaround for a guy who's you know, he's getting, I think he's 30 now, um, you know, to come back and play at the level that he played and to get that twin player of the week, the final week of the season uh, with that brace was amazing. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, again, it's a completely crazy season. I looked back and I sort of broke up the team, the, the season into a couple of different little sections. Uh, I don't know how much time I want to spend on it, but, you know, just because I feel like I usually go back and I try to look at the sort of the record and like how it goes and where there's sort of these turning points. And, you know, like last season, there was sort of that unbeaten streak, which sort of defined the year. Um, this one was completely truncated, obviously. The first two weeks of the season were the first two weeks of the season. We thought everything was normal and Minnesota United looked good. Two away wins. It's going great. Then there was MLS's back, and uh, Minnesota United again made a good tournament run. I think there, despite some some issues, this sort of we we didn't really know the 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 extent of Luis Amaria's injury, um, and and we know that that hurt him there. Um, but obviously, made a great run, defeated San Jose Earthquakes in a very memorable game, one of my favorite games of the year uh, at MLS's back. And then through the rest of the season, and this is something I had not really looked at. There were sort of two chunks to me. There was there was August twenty first, September twenty seventh. And then there was October 3rd to November 8th. And in August through late August through uh, September, that was the period of, of three losses in a row, two wins, and then lost, draw, lost, draw. That last draw uh, being the home game against RSL where no one scored, a scoreless draw at home. Then this, I feel like it's things sort of tipped over a little bit. And then the next run of games is, is a win, two draws, two wins, a draw and a win. And so that's sort of, I feel like those are sort of two distinct periods with the team they're sort of the coming back from MLS's back and figuring out you know what was going on um some wins in there obviously but overall not performing up uh to where they would want to be and then that undefeated run to sort of finish the season even if some of them were draws that you wish had not been draws um it just showed a I think that's where you began to see the resilience of the team and I think the resilience of the team is really going to be the watchword sort of going forward uh on on what this season showed for the team yeah, I lost count, Steve, the amount of times Kendra and I spoke about character on the broadcast and um, how much of it was needed in, in what has been a bizarre 2020 season. Um, you know, I just sort of a few things here. First of all, can you imagine being someone like Vancouver Whitecaps who, who haven't had much to deal with in terms of injuries and whatnot this year? Same goes for RSL and Houston Dynamo uh, and the Galaxy, I guess you could say. The one thing those four teams all have in common is that they did make the playoffs. 
Um, so again, knowing that those teams had one or two injuries, but nothing compared to what Minnesota United had to deal with, um, and neither of them, none of them made the playoffs, beg your pardon, uh, compared to what Minnesota had done, it, it shows how well the Loons have done this year. I agree, Steve, that in a sense there was, uh, at some stage there was uh, an element of uh, unfamiliarity, obviously because of the way the season went. MLS is back, you know, I was of the opinion with, with MLS is back and it, it depended on on what the coaching staff of any team wanted. But because the group stage was worth the points from the regular season, the knockout stage then was essentially a knockout tournament. I wasn't sure what was going to happen and, and you know how we're supposed to, to feel about this. Is this a, a good trophy? Is this going to be something that we'll look back on and say, wow, that would, you know, the, what was the value of MLS is back, you know? And, and I wasn't really sure until... You know, teams did get to the postseason and wanted to win and try and push. And, and Minnesota United did that very well indeed. And, and obviously, they fell victim to um, a masterclass display from, from Nani that particular evening against Orlando City. But, um, you know, look, I think um, I think then after that, um, there were a couple of decent wins here and there. But it did feel as though Minnesota were just limping through, quite literally, because of all the injuries that they'd sustained. Mm-hmm. And just getting results here and there were, were just about enough, you know. And and, and I think the, the impressive thing, Steve, towards the end of the campaign and the latter stages of the regular season is they, they did find a way to carve out results. Uh, sometimes they, they put themselves in it big time, you know, by, by going 2-0 down home to Chicago Fire, for example. Um, and then they were winning 2-0 away at Houston and, and, and drew 2-2. No doubt there were areas that, that could have um, could have been better. But again, dealing with the, all, all the injuries that they had, um, I, I think getting a point at Houston is, is a good result. And ultimately, holding off a Chicago Fire team that were, were gung-ho as can possibly be uh, and were desperate to get themselves in the playoffs, I think was was okay, considering that Minnesota had a good idea of what the situation was moving into, into decision day. So... But I think um, the game against Dallas, I think I saw this the other day from somebody, and I can't remember who it was, so apologies. Uh, but I agree with the statement that the Dallas game was probably the most complete performance from that San Jose game at the MLS's back tournament that you mentioned. Somebody counter-argued the 4-0 win against RSL. I said, yeah, OK. But if you remember RSL, they, they only played three or four first-team players then because they had an important game at home that coming weekend. So yeah, that also, I look back at that game also. And, and the first season, the first half of that game, RSL like had it, they just didn't score. It was, it was nil right. nil going into the break. So the second half of that game, very good. Minnesota really came alive, but it's not like they sort of bossed the game and like stood, stood on their heads sort of the way that they did against FC Dallas, like in that last game of the season. Yeah. That four Oh, win I was good yeah. to get, but it didn't look like you were playing the best you could. Well, and also, Steve, as well, when I say the most complete performance, I mean in the sense of, of the identity of Minnesota United as well, is that I, yeah. I thought for the first time in a long time, they looked like the Minnesota United we expect. Um, and look, a lot of that had to do with the three behind the centre forward, um, which is an area that is so key to Minnesota United in the way that they play. Um, it, it's also an area, let's not forget as well, that will go relatively unaffected um, over the course of the next few weeks, unless someone gets an injury, of course, but which, given the season, probably one of them will. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, um, obviously, I'm referring to the fact that no Kai Kamara because of an injury, which meant Robin Lurd had to play up front. And and I said this on um, on a, a piece that I did earlier today, Steve, that um, 
if you go back and look at the starting 11 for Minnesota, it's a third-choice goalkeeper. I know he's become established, but he's still the third-choice goalkeeper. Maybe you would consider him second choice. Now, there are some that would consider him first, but I would consider him second choice right now sure. um, if Tyler Miller was, was fit. You had a fourth and fifth choice centre-back pairing, realistically, when you think about it. You had a fifth choice central midfielder in Marlon Hairston, and you had a makeshift centre-forward who's not a centre-forward. <laughs> right. And Minnesota was still able to to comprehensively push Dallas aside in the manner in which they did. Now, I know Dallas was slightly unfortunate in front of goal. They had the woodwork twice. Then St. Clair made some good saves. But the simple fact of the matter is, is how many times have we heard this in football? You have to put your chances away. Uh, and Minnesota did just that. Um, and I think the, the players that they expected performances from, i.e. the three behind the forwards, I think they got the performances that they wanted and needed. Um, let's hope that continues moving into the playoffs because because of the manner of which Minnesota beat Dallas, I think now with, with eight games unbeaten, I know it was sort of limping at, at, at certain stages of this unbeaten run, but because they've beaten Dallas comprehensively in the way they have, I think now Minnesota have momentum moving into the playoffs, which is so, so important if they are going to make a long-term run. Yeah, absolutely, Cal. I, I'm, I'm, I'm only a little disappointed because of Robin Ludd leaving that we don't really see. You know, it was really like four midfielders out there, like four attacking mids. And that was interesting because Robin played a little more of that sort of false nine, like he was dropping back a little bit. You didn't have that tip of the spear. And it really seemed to, to you know, sort of mess up Dallas in a lot of ways. Um, it was just... <laughs> Because they wouldn't have prepared for it. They would have prepared for Kai Kamara or Aaron Schoenfeld. They wouldn't have prepared for a false nine at all. So, yeah, yeah, of course it would have caused problems. Yeah. Yeah, we, I just realized we haven't, we're not even really talking about the FC Dallas game. But that's okay. Um, let's, let's move on. This is already going long. It's sort of the season recap uh, show. Let's talk a little, let's go quickly. Let's talk about team awards. Sort of some things, you know, uh, some, some plaudits we want to give out there. Uh, Cal, who for you is, is the MVP of Minnesota United uh, at this point? Michael Boxall. Easy. Um, I we can just move on. Like that's how I was. Going to say as well. Yeah. No debate in my opinion. I, I, look, I understand people people's arguments in, in Kevin Molino, but for me, Michael Boxall, um, up until recently, had, had played every single minute, and we discussed it on this podcast, Steve, how noticeable it was when he wasn't on the field. And I say that with all due respect to the centre halves that replaced him, but it was so obvious, and, and it's something which is interesting in, in life, isn't it? That you only realise what you have until it's gone. And yeah. Mike Boxall absolutely fit that description when he was missing from the team. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was, he's been, he's one of the longest tenured loons at this point, um, you know, and he, when he came in, he was good and he was solid, but playing with a team that overall was not defensively great and did not give him a lot of support in front. But I would agree with, you know, I think Ethan Finlay said last week that he's taken a leap. And I think it's sometimes a little harder to see when a, when a center back takes a leap like that, but he's really, he's elevated his play the whole season. And, Again, availability is a skill, and he is a guy who stayed healthy, threw a separated shoulder, as we noted, uh, right up until the end of the season, played every minute he could, basically. So, uh, shout out to Boxy, doing a fantastic job. I, I pulled most of these awards from, from the, you know, what MLS gives, uh, so some of them are pretty easy. Young Player of the Year, Dane St. Clair. I mean, he's pretty much the only really young player playing right now, uh, and even then, he's 23, so... Um, he's, it looked fantastic. Uh, again, as, as we said earlier, I don't know how much more we need to say about uh, the patron saint of, of clean sheets right now. Yeah, not too much. You're right, Steve. There was a lot asked of him when he first came in. Um, there was a bit of skepticism as well because he'd not played at this level. Uh, people weren't really sure. 
And he came in, and, and I think even he will admit he was a little bit shaky and nervous on his debut, which was that 4-0 win against RSL, wasn't it? And, um, you know, uh, eventually he got comfortable. And eventually those around him got comfortable as well. And it became um, not an issue at all, which is so important to, to have that amount of confidence in your goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't feel like a massive drop-off, as you said earlier on, compared to Tyler Miller, you know. I do still think, Steve, next season, Tyler Miller will be considered the number one because he's come to this club to be the number one. Sure. But it's a good problem to have if you're Adrian Heath, knowing you've got two exceptional goalkeepers to work with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, comeback player, Kevin Molino. I mean, I think he's the comeback player of, of, of MLS, very possibly. So no, no, no uh, strange choice there. Uh, newcomer. Uh, I think you got to go with Reynoso. Emmanuel Reynoso is the newcomer. Although I, I think Debassi gives him a, a run for his money. Honestly, I think I think that Bakai Debassi will be a very important player for this team going forward. Yeah, there was um, there was an element of stability that came with him because of his experience and, and what we saw. And he seemed to make a seamless transition to Major League Soccer. Which, let's be honest, Steve, it's not the case for a lot of foreign players. Yeah. Um, I don't think he sh- I don't think he should win it, but I think in the discussion should be Jacory Hayes because I think Jacory Hayes was was quite sure. a surprise to a lot of people, um, and I say that with all due respect to Jacory Hayes, but I think a lot of people had a certain expectation because he hadn't played a lot for FC Dallas um, and came in and and was when he was called upon was was as consistent as as anybody could be. So um, you know, I, I, I thought Jacory Hayes was um, was a, a really good pick. Essentially, it was daylight robbery, Steve. When you think about it, a third round draft pick for Jacory Hayes. Yeah. You know? I thought it was great business. Um, but yeah, right now, so, I mean, look, yeah. <laughs> what was it? It's it's a goal and seven assists in nine starts. Yeah, don't, I mean, don't overthink it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Reynoso, and, and he he changes the way the team play. He draws so much attention uh, from the from the opposing players, meaning everybody else has just that little bit more room to manoeuvre. Mm-hmm. His, his delivery is wonderful. His... Um, his his view of the game is is sumptuous. He strokes the ball so beautifully at times, and he's just the best, best footballer Minnesota United have, have had so far. And um, you know he's he's such a key component moving forward. And, and the exciting thing is, Steve, I still don't think we've seen a hundred percent what he's what he can do as well. Because of, as I said, because of of what twenty twenty has been, because yeah. he had obviously uh, injury issues as well. Um, I still don't think he's he's been a hundred percent since he's been here, and and, and that is mouth-watering those possibilities for what 2021 could bring from Emmanuel Reynoso. Yeah. All right. Uh, last two things. Best win, which I think we sort of already have covered a little bit. Um, I think the, the only three that I really had were the, the 3-0 versus FC Dallas to f- close out the season, uh, that 4-1 win over San Jose in the quarterfinals of MLS is back, and then uh, the 5-2 win over San Jose in, in, in week two. Um, I think that we saw again that Adrian Heath had sort of one of was one of the early guys to really figure out how to take apart that San Jose, uh, you know, the, their their scheme. Um, also, it was crazy to look back at that five two uh, win because the team is like unrecognizable compared to the team that finished the season. I think I'm gonna have to go with a three three no win over FC Dallas. So really, like now with a little distance and the, the season over, looking back at it, as you said, I think that was maybe the most comprehensive, complete win in the sense of that the. the, the Minnesota looked in control. Uh, they did what they wanted to do. Um, and the identity was strong with, with what you saw out on the pitch. Just given the circumstances, Steve, as we said several times already, knowing the amount of injuries that Minnesota had going up against FC Dallas and, and the amount of 
fourth and fifth choice players that were playing in positions, you know, and, and whatnot. I, I, that, that, for me, is the most impressive win. Uh, the best win from a footballing perspective, I thought it was it's either one of the first two games because I thought they were magnificent against Portland. They tore them apart in their own backyard. Yeah. And then also against San Jose, even more so as well. But I think because Portland were the better team, I, I think we should not overlook that, that first win away at the Timbers because uh, that was a magnificent victory. But the, the fact that, that Minnesota, I think, what were they, 4-0 up at halftime at San Jose? It yeah. was, I mean, the, that that was the best 45 minutes I've ever seen from Minnesota United since coming into Major League Soccer. And, and for me, it was, a, I keep using the word statement, but it was a real statement victory um, because it had showed that, that look look at this roster we've assembled, look at what Minnesota United are right now compared to what they were in previous years. So the good thing is, Steve, is that we've got plenty of these games to talk about. And... Um, I certainly can't really come to a conclusion, but if you are pushing me, I'd probably agree with you and say the Dallas victory over the weekend. Yeah. All right. Worst loss. I'm going to say that the the worst loss for me was actually a draw. It was the 2-2 draw away at Houston where they came back because uh, that felt like a serious loss. Uh, closely followed by basically the exact same thing happening in Allianz Field with regard to Houston. Again, I think that obviously any loss is probably worse than any draw, but um, the the feel of being away at Houston and being up two goals after not being able to ever get you know results in Houston and being up two goals and then and then getting the draw I think that was like that felt the worst of that felt like the worst result of any game for me. Yeah, I can see the argument there, Steve. The other one for me, which maybe I'm being a little bit harsh here because looking at the lineup on that particular day, there were a lot of players that were were not first-team regulars as well. But do you remember it was, uh, when was it? It was back in the start of September. Minnesota went to Houston and lost 3-0. And uh, Darwin Quintero yeah. scored, lovely little chip. And then Lasseter came on and scored the two goals. Yeah. And I thought they picked Minnesota United apart brilliantly that day. Um, but like I said, maybe I'm being a bit harsh because I look at the lineup here and and, and it was, again, you know, Mason Toy started up front, Edwards out wide, Ranjit Singh in goal, Musa was alongside Boxall at centre-half, you know. So maybe I'm being a little bit harsh there, but um, if, if you're just simply going off of scorelines, that, that's the one that sticks out in terms of poor results this season for sure. And uh, thank goodness that was followed by a 4-0 thumping of RSL at Allianz Field a week later. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why I didn't, I didn't you know, I think it was, that was also coming off another loss. Uh, and at that lineup, again, just I don't think the expectations were there. I, I, I just felt like the, again, having lost 3-0 at Houston to then go back to Houston and be up two goals and, and then yeah. surrender those two goals was really, uh, did not feel great. Um, so, all right. We're already going really long, so we're just going to wrap this one up here. And then next week, we'll be back to talk about uh, the matchup against uh, Colorado. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that final game, uh, that FC Dallas game, a little more. All right. Thanks for joining us for the 120th Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Minnesota United's next game is in the first round of the Audi 2020 MLS Cup playoffs as they welcome the Colorado Rapids to Allianz Field on Sunday, November 22nd at 6.30 p.m. You can watch that game on ESPN and listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Enteris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are.
Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Stay cool this summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.